This is the Art of Darkness podcast with Kevin Kautzman and Brad Kelly. We're a couple of very online writers interested in the dark side of what drives creative people to create against all odds. This show is about art and the people who make it, what it costs them, and what it takes to bring something unique and impactful into the world. Each episode, we excavate the life and work of an artist you might think you know. Don't worry, they're all safely dead. On every episode, we try and find out just what the hell was wrong with them and how they worked through their darkness to create something that lives on after them and continues to move culture. Find us online at artofdarkpod.com and on Twitter at artofdarkpod. All right, we've got some sponsors for the pod now. Wait, what? Every link you need for the things we talk about here is at artofdarkpod.com slash sponsors. First up, books. If you're into this podcast, Odds are you're probably a reader. We've got links to buy new books from bookshop.org and used books from alibris.com. And if you want to listen to your books, we recommend and use audible.com. It's great and the catalog is huge. All right. So if you're listening to this, you are online. Maybe you're very online. You probably have a website or are thinking of starting one. Maybe you want a website like artofdarkpod.com. We built that with WordPress, which is by far the most popular way to create websites. And the single best host for serious WordPress is WP Engine. I've personally used them for over a decade now, and I don't host my websites anywhere else. Go to artofdarkpod.com slash sponsors and click on the WP Engine link to learn more. Finally, the best way to support the show is at patreon.com slash artofdarkpod. Get the bonus After Dark content for every episode, access to the book club, and more. Thanks for supporting Art of Darkness. And I, I don't think that was too painful. I think no, we did a pretty good job good. there. Yeah. Yeah, that sounded good. Yeah. Yeah, we appreciate it. In the dark room, art of dark pod.com. Uh, Patreon.com slash Art of Dark Pod. Uh, T.me slash Art of Dark Pod. Today, tonight, I almost said today, but it's like, this is a late one for us. So People definitely are listening tonight. to it. GM in the yeah. GMs yeah. in the chat. Yeah. yeah. GM, and GN. That's yeah. it. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, we are talking uh, more David Foster Wallace with the great Astral. Astral, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate you. Uh, your generosity with your time very much looking forward to talking with you well thank you guys for your generosity for having me on again i look forward to this being uh rapport our podcasts have uh, all the way as long as we have podcasts yeah yeah for sure man um uh and so for folks who who maybe are just coming to this new uh or coming to art of darkness new um this is a dark room episode what this means is we have um uh friends interesting people from all sorts of corners of the internet come on and we do sort of a follow-up somewhat looser conversation about a subject that we have covered in depth already so there is a kevin how long is the david foster wallace episode four hours and 20 minutes four or something hours like that. 20 ish something yeah. like that so we did the whole you know we tell the whole david foster wallace story his biography we talk about the book the the work that he did from from the novels to the to the non-fiction um talk about uh you know we, we we pretty much tell the whole story uh but of course with a guy like david foster wallace there is a lot more to say a lot of people have opinions uh including the three of us hopefully We've got some common ground here, at least I, I think that we do. Um, Kevin, where are you at 
with, I'm just kind of throw it to you first, just because I know you hadn't read a ton of David Foster Wallace before we did that episode. After that episode, kind of where do you stand with him? Yeah, I'm, he's still a bit of a, a cipher for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, didn't we determine that he's technically a boomer? Yeah, but, he's a late boomer generation. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it is. It's, it's crazy. To, it's, that's to crazy about. to think about that he's a boomer. Yeah. Right. But I mean, those things are kind of, you know, funny anyway, right? Like right. I'm technically a millennial, but I've got Gen X characteristics. There's cuspers. Cuspers right. are a thing. And then of course, there's somebody like DFW who was inventing the future. He's going to feel more current mm-hmm. uh, than somebody who, you know, sold real estate. Yeah, for sure. Whatever. That's, uh, that's not that there's true. anything wrong with selling real estate, boys. Am I yeah. right? Right, right? Right. Right. You got to pay. Yeah. You got to pay the bills. I. <laughs> I, I, I find him fascinating, but I have not, I haven't really, I, I'm not going to lie and say I, I, we did the episode and then I ran out and read as much DFW as I could get my hands on. Um, I, I came away, however, appreciating the, the tragedy of his suicide. I, you were very affected by it, Brad. Yeah, it was, those episodes are often very difficult, but he was so young and, uh, He's this is a cliche, but it would be fascinating to hear what he would be writing now, particularly the cultural essays. Can you imagine what a David Foster Wallace essay would look like? Yeah. And as 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 opposed to a lot of our subjects, like he would be alive still in a normal life expectancy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. um, Let's see. He'd be like 60. Yeah. I think he'd be in his early 60s or I think he's born in 1964. I might have that wrong, but um, yeah. yeah, So yeah, he would be, yeah, he'd be in his sixties, which for a novelist, he'd be 63 ish, 62, 63. Okay. Even older. We could get a DFW essay about going to get the senior, senior discount at uh, Denny's. Right. Something like that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It sounds like something he would write. It would be all about those young whippersnappers. That would be all of his essays. About how the Zoomers don't make any sense. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. So let me, uh, let me, uh, there's a, there's something I wanted to talk about. And of course, we're going to go wherever we end up going here, but I've got a few things to kind of teed up. One is, I want to pose this question. I'm, I'm curious, Astral's opinion. Astral, uh, you recently had that great conversation with Dan Baltic and Last Things. Uh, David Foster Wallace, base versus cringe. It wasn't really a debate with one side or the other, but it was a very interesting conversation. I do recommend people going to check that out. I feel like uh, between our core episode, what we're going to talk about today and that, there's some in- very good, useful, interesting David Foster Wallace content out there. The question I want to ask is, is Infinite Jest a great American novel? And is it the last great American novel? This is a difficult question to answer yeah. with what I don't think is a straightforward answer because the case for it to being a failed great American novel is very strong. Mm-hmm. And as a fan of David Foster Wallace, as a fan of this book, I have to say that when people complain about this novel and David Foster Wallace bellyaches about uh, how it was edited and some of the important stuff was taken out and people just don't understand it, it does seem futile. It seems like a futile sort of the argument is if you've read the book, 
it's like the argument is lost before it's even started. You telling me that door stopper was edited, heavily edited? <laughs> heavily. Is that what you're telling me? Did you not know that? They took I, out like I may have took, heard it. They took out like 300 pages and David Foster Wallace insists that those were 300 essential pages that the book could not afford to lose, but he had no choice. And there's an interview with the editor who made those decisions um, on Michael the internet. Beach. I can't th think of, is that who it is? I think, well, that was his editor, but there may, it may have passed through other hands as well. So might not. Well, whoever the guy is that made the decisions um, had, uh, has an interview online that you can find. And he, I would have looked it up before the show if I thought we'd bring it up because I can't think it's easy to find, though. It's easy yeah. to find on iTunes. And he says that uh, every single cut he tried to make, David Foster Wallace insisted that making that cut would ruin the novel and make it incoherent to the reader. And um, the he didn't care. The editor didn't care. But he said that Wallace convinced him to keep a couple things in. And it's been years since I listened to this interview, but if I, I know for a fact, excuse me, <coughs> I know for a fact that there was something that they had a, a knockdown drag out fight about and David Foster Wallace would simply not budge. So he left it in mm. and it turned out to be one of the most popular, well-received passages by all readers. And, and he got comments, uh, compliments on it endlessly. <sighs> I think it was the eschaton scene. Okay. Uh, but don't quote me on that, um, which is funny because I put the novel down <coughs> and took a break from it and picked it back up and finished. Oh, no, no, no. It wasn't the eschaton scene. Do you remember the scene where he's going through uh, the president? I think he's, is he the president of Mexico or Canada who becomes like the overlord the 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 oh. uh, the tyrant of uh, whatever I think it's the, the president of Mexico, but I, I think it's the president of Mexico. Yeah. And there's a scene where they talk about uh, some plan for a nu nuclear strike that they have. It's leading up to or right after es the eschaton scene. Mm. And they're they're writing the whole thing out on the back of napkins. And mm. it just goes on for 10 pages of these notes that they put on the back of napkins. Right. And it's right. like. You know, David, th this is what this novel is. This is what David Foster Wallace does. Mm -hmm. The 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 offhand phrase that something, you know, you scribble it down on the back of a napkin is a joke that he mm -hmm. just drags out for so many pages. And that's what, like what the whole novel is. Mm -hmm. It's like jokes that he just drags out for way more pages than it should be dragged out for. And I just had had enough at that point. Mm -hmm. um, and I know it's somewhere in the novel near the eschaton scene. And I put it down for maybe four months, maybe, or more even, six months, and then picked it back up. I think the book itself took me about three months of reading, but I took multiple breaks. And that three months was stretched out over maybe a yeah. year, nine yeah, months okay. to a year. I, I, I put it down for a long stretch, but I did take other long breaks to read other novels. Yeah. So right. I would read 300 <laughs> pages and then read another whole novel. And then go back. And the novels I was reading were like Celine. Right. And like like they weren't like like throwaway novellas. It right, was right, like... right, right. Yeah, exactly. I'm gonna pick up, let me pick up some other dense. I really gotta go back and reread the Da Vinci code. I think yeah. it's well, really no, gonna the, land the, the this joke time. was the joke was like, I need some light reading after right, this. I'm right. gonna read Journey to the End of the Night. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember I read uh I read Naked Lunch, Bukowski's Women. 
Celine's journey to the end of the night and something else that'll come to me all while I was on break from infinite chance. Having <laughs> a normal just, one, man. I, that's, uh... that's right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> no, that's a, that sounds well, like I a read, I read, list. um, I read, uh, not to, not to derail the conversation mm, yeah. as soon as it starts. I read the savage detectives on a break in the middle of the brothers Karamazov. Oh, is that like, man? Like that's who you're dealing with right, right now. Right, right, <laughs> like, right, right. Well, see, the brothers Karamazov is another one. Like you kind of do need a break. I mean, with like yeah. modern computer brain, like it's, you know, I I don't remember. I first read Infinite Jest long enough ago that I don't, I can't tell you a lot of details about what it was like to read it. But I do remember that, like, I, I feel like I tr- had to travel a bunch with it, like separate trips that were kind of spread out, like a spring trip and then a summer trip. I like had to va- take this, like this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was a process for me, too, for sure. And Karamazov was similar, to be honest. I was definitely. I, uh, I found the chapter. Already. Okay, great. Immediately, yeah. I found the chapter that 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 broke me. Let me see where, where I can find the beginning <laughs> of the chapter here. And it is that's the president of Mexico. Uh, gee, well, it's page four hundred and seven. Okay. It's chapter eight, November eighth of November, year of the depend adult under undergarment, Gaudimus Igitur. I don't even know how to pronounce that. I don't even oh, know what right. any of that means, but that's you're... the chapter. Okay. And I think it's either right before or right after Eschaton. I think it's right after Eschaton. And I read the Eschaton chapter and then I got into this and I just was like, you know, I've I've thrown two books across the room. Yeah. Yeah. This was one of them. You want to know what the uh, other one was? What's that? Uh, the Illuminatus trilogy, which I read, uh. which I read in one volume. So it was two massive doorstoppers. You do some damage with that, man. That's yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I remember throwing Illuminatus trilogy across the room twice, yeah. and then just sitting there like pouting with my shoulders and my arms crossed and like harumphing. <laughs> right. And then just now, like eyeing it out of the corner of my eye, and then like being like, "All right, I picked it back up." Is that like <laughs> frustration? Like frustration with it? Like, well, yeah, it's different frustration. The mm-hmm. if you you it's your you I you must have read. I bet you've read it. You have to. Have I have it. not read Illuminatus. Oh, that's that like is my big book, blank man. spot. I know Kevin, I would love it because everything I know it me too. There, it's ridiculous. It's one of those yeah. yeah, for real. I don't know it. Yeah. Oh, Kevin made a face too. Well, you guys have an a- episode on Crowley. Yeah. This guy was a big Crowley. Uh yeah, Robert true. Anton Wilson's a big Crowley. Yeah. Not- and I'm I know I'm familiar with Robert Anton Wilson. I mean I've listened to he's a guy I've listened to a lot. You know, you find him on YouTube or whatever. Um, I've listened to a lot of th- a lot of stuff he said. So I forgot. Yeah. One day I will. Yeah. One day I will get into Illuminatus. Yeah, um, I have to do it. Yeah, that yeah. comes up again and again and again. It really, bro. bro yeah. I mean, dude, this guy is like shooing for Art of Darkness. I mean, yeah. there has to be a Robert Anton Wilson episode someday. We will do every time, sometime. every time I talk to you guys, I give you homework. <laughs> I give you a new... <laughs> we got a we got a list, and it's getting bigger and bigger. Well, and bigger. Sorry, you gotta, yeah, we got to yeah. do. No, no, yeah. not at all. You know, yeah. you said something there a minute ago, Astral, about harumphing. Yeah, men used to harumph. We don't harumph anymore. We don't harumph anymore. Do. You know, we need back. to return to harumph. Yeah, I, yeah. I well, you know, we're talking about David Foster Wallace, new sincerity. I feel like harumphing is a very sincere gesture. It's a very mm. like, you know, it's, it's a little vulnerable. It's, you know, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, I'm right. I'm writing the word irony down. I, I listen okay. to your episode. <laughs> good, good. We're gonna we're definitely gonna talk about irony. Um, but uh, let let's can we get back to the great American novel? I totally please. derailed that question. That's okay. Um, what I wanted to say initially was that there's a strong case to be made that it's a failed great American novel, and I think he was facing that criticism during his own lifetime. And you brought up the possibility in the episode that it's a failed novel. Mm-hmm. I understand why people think that. I don't think that. I think it's a resounding success. Mm. But it is not within the framework of what you think of as the great American novel. It's not even really in the framework of what you think of as a novel. Uh, uh, Carl Knausgaard, who wrote uh, My Struggle, Mm -hmm. said that it was uh, he was trying to do Tristram Shandy. I don't think he was trying to do Tristram Shandy. I only know Tristram Shandy through looking through it because Carl Knausgaard said that mm-hmm. this doesn't seem like that. I think he's more doing trying to do Joyce and Finnegan's Wake, which mm-hmm. me and Brad were talking about before the show started. Mm-hmm. I've not read Finnegan's Wake either. Me and Brad both decided uh, we're probably not ever going to read it. <laughs> right. I have owned Finnegan's Wake. I have read from it. Mm-hmm. Uh but it's like in it's totally inaccessible. It's like totally inaccessible. It it really is. I <laughs> I for a while there I would open to a random page and read it. Just read that page and just sort of go, okay. That was <laughs> everyone is every every page of that book is like a little dose of acid. And so you just, you just funny you should that. say that because yeah. the reason I bought Finnegan's Wake and tried to read it is because Robert Anton Wilson, who is a, a huge acid freak, mm-hmm. they, they talk about it constantly in in the Luminatus trilogy. Constantly. I mean, they're oh, constantly calling it the greatest novel ever written, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Wallace is quite conscientiously trying to do something like that because he thinks it's clever. He thinks mm-hmm. James Joyce is clever. People think James Joyce is clever. And and it affords you this level of like uh, esoteric, you know, high level. He always uses this word high level. He's extremely self-conscious. Mm-hmm. It affords you this level of like high level literary clout that only certain people who are willing to do. And here's the key. This is the key. Only certain people who are willing to do extra work outside the novel and extra reading will be able to appreciate this. That is what like the modernist novel is like the whole thing with um, Ulysses is like, well, if you don't understand the Odyssey and if you don't understand all the references, the same with the Wasteland by T.S. Eliot, Mm -hmm. you can't really appreciate these poems by themselves. You have to have this whole contextual thing. And I think. Wallace is trying to do that. I think his whole career is him trying to do that, but it's this like very debased sort of midwit version of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin made the point quite nicely in um, your pod that like out of at least a hundred applicants to the PhD program at Harvard, six of them got in and one of them was Wallace. Mm-hmm. You can't do that if you're a midwit. And I don't think Wallace is a midwit. I think he's, he has crippling anxiety and it causes him to do these stupid midwit things. Right. <laughs> because uh, huh. and now I'm coming and now I'm coming back around to my point <clears throat> because I think that this book is a resounding success as a postmodern novel, which is exactly what he was trying to do. He was trying to write a postmodern novel. He was pr- trying to write the postmodern novel par excellence in response mm-hmm. to Barth 
who mm-hmm. in the in the essay uh the literature of exhaustion which i talk about on D- dan uh I, I mean uh not dan baltics but uh last things last podcast things. with with dan baltic mm-hmm. was basically like the clarion or not the clarion call but the um whatever the opposite of the clarion call is the mm-hmm. the death knell mm-hmm. of the novel that essay purported to be the death knell of the novel like the novel is done there's nowhere for us to go the mm-hmm. the genre the form is exhausted and the only things we can do now are these things that he lays out in that in that essay and he proceeds then to write welcome to the funhouse which is more of an experiment than an actual novel and i think wallace is conscientiously and purposefully and explicitly saying fuck no mm-hmm. it's not over it's not exhausted we are in postmodernism we have the postmodern novel and this is what the fuck it looks like yeah, yeah and in my opinion it's a resounding success the problem is that a lot of people don't like that shit Right. 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 Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that's where yeah. I'm at with this book. Yeah. No, I I quite like that. And and you're quite right to bring up Barth. I mean, uh, David Foster Wallace in his very long short story or his short novella, yeah. uh, Westward. What is it? Westward. The course, of course the empire. of the empire takes its way. Something. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was a that was a sort of a parody of Lost in the Funhouse in a way and was sort of a declaration of like, you know, we're going to we're going to keep we're going to keep going to an extent. And and the next big project, next big fiction project of Wallace's was Infinite Jest. I mean, it took uh, clearly it took years to write such a massive book. Um, but three, three years to be. Exact. Three, is that is that how long it took? Yeah, it took <laughs> him three insane. years. <laughs> That's insane. I'm writing a novel now that I've been working on it three years. It's 200 and some odd pages. <laughs> <laughs> well, bro, dude, in your episode, you said he wrote 25,000 words a day. I'm like, wait oh, a second. Did I yeah, hear this right? I, that must have been, that must not, that, you can't must keep that 2,500. Must have been, 2, I might have missed, I may have yeah, missed. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Missed. yeah, maybe yeah, I heard you wrong. Maybe yeah, I He might have been, you, I could maybe see somebody pulling that off, though. I could. I, I mean, on a day, type, once. Yeah, once, not day but not consistently. Day. Yeah, yeah, you'd go nuts. Yeah, yeah. you'd lose your mind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's it, it's interesting, too. So the the thing that you brought up, Astral, about the fact that, you know, these 300 pages are, are taken out by the editor and David Foster Wallace is arguing for them, um, you know, them all being critical. And, and in a way, you know, I, I do want to kind of respect that statement of his because... I mean, I think a lot of people do think the book is incomprehensible. I have to say that I find it on a page by page, uh, on a page by page, you know, perspective, it's very accessible. It's not hard to read. Finnegan's Wake is like every sentence. You're like, what is what? First paragraph. Right. (laughs) Infinite Jest. You can read a few pages and you'll follow along just fine. Where it gets difficult is the overall. What what is actually happening in general? Because there's so much is happening. Dozens, if not hundreds of pages will go by and with character and then a character will reemerge. There's a difficulty in just generally keeping all the threads together. Um, that I think is there for sure. Um, but I do wonder, David Foster Wallace claimed that he was structuring this whole thing based on a Serpinski gasket, yeah. um, which is this like proto-fractal, tri- excuse me, proto-fractal triangular uh, pattern, um, and then which would be intricate and delicate. And I could see if you pull one triangle out of the Serpinski triangle, the Serpinski g- gasket, the whole thing could stop making sense. 
maybe. Um, I mean, there is an argument too, though. I I think there's a legitimate oh. argument of like, is it? That's the, that's the, anyway. there's a gif of that, that I use as the symbol for my Substack just totally by accident. I did ah, not know that. Yeah. You so there you DFW go. Weird Apparently I am. Yeah. I looked it up. <laughs> Wait, okay. the, the, yeah. Hmm. Well, let me Google it. What is it called? The Serpinski. Serpinski gasket or Serpinski yeah, or triangle. Triangle. It's, it's very beautiful. Yeah. Uh, it is. Yeah. It's sort of a lovely fractal oh. pattern. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it and it conveys and I've you seen know, this before. It's got it, it's got infinite recursion in it, right? Every tri- uh, every triangle contain you know contain it can contain an image of itself infinitely deep, basically. Um, it's the only and, acceptable kind of recursion on the sure. podcast. It's infinite. <laughs> it's infinite recursion. Do you li- how do you like your coffee? Infinite. <laughs> well, there's a uh, this. I think it's the second book in the Illuminatus trilogy is uh called the eye in the pyramid and i want to see if it's got a serpinski gasket it might it it looks very similar to it but i think it's different it very well could that's interesting um and you know i think you know yeah while you're while you're checking that out i mean the this kind of structuring of a book is is an interesting project i suppose i don't know if it makes for uh the most readable or interesting text um but i do think there is there is something about like um infinite interconnections going on in this book which i think i mean it almost feels sort of cliche to say it but i think it is also true is that sort of like we all kind of live in an infinitely recursive network now and you kind of wonder, like, if someone is going to write the great American novel, does it need to take place in a complicated in an environment that is that complicated in order to capture something to say something well, about American life? Tell me what you mean by the environment, because I th- I think you mean something. But I'm not yeah, sure. well, I mean, just I mean, put a po- fine point on just like living on the Internet and living on a also living like information siloed so that like what you choose to see is sort of repeated back to you. And then you continually go down that like rabbit, you know, you you we, we continuously and we continuously subdivide ourselves. And so we're all in like a subculture of one, basically. Um, yeah. And I think that if someone, if it's possible to write something like the great American novel, I feel like you're going to have to try and harness that somehow. Like, I don't think you can even write what would be the great American novel and have it just be a straightforward, this happened, then this happened, then this happened, the end. Um, I don't think that would capture the American experience anymore. I think that's why people think it's a failed novel, because it doesn't do that. Mm. It doesn't say this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Yeah, right, right. And uh, I'm not really the one to speak on Joyce and Ulysses. It's actually one of the main books I need to get to soon because it's mm-hmm. it's a huge missing piece in my, uh, you know, pyramid structure of my literary mm-hmm. knowledge. But I am aware, as most people are, that that book is about like a day in the life of somebody in Dublin. Mm-hmm. And of course, one of the one of the I I, I think it was. Yeah, I read. He's got the portrait of the artist as a young man, which I read, mm-hmm. and the du- and Dubliners, which mm-hmm. is short stories, mm-hmm. which I've also read. And I kind of was like, I didn't really think much of them. Okay, Fair they're enough. kind of like in unimpressive, but mm-hmm. I maybe I have to go back and reread them. Point being, though, is he's got this like sprawling 
panoramic image or view or perspective into Dublin. Mm-hmm. Like the idea is that he's creating this like odyssey of Dublin. It's 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 not, you know, the Aegean where where Odysseus is traveling all around to go home. It's the city of Dublin. And if this if there's something Wallace is doing where he's trying to be Joycean, it's that panorama of Boston. He's doing like a panorama mm-hmm. of Boston, which would make sense if you want to if you want to write the great American novel, because even though Boston isn't really a prominent city to us now, it is perhaps the most important city in American history because right. of the revolution and things like that. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. it makes sense. And obviously it's personal to him. It's intimate because he spent time there. He spent mm-hmm. a transformative period in his life, especially a transformative period uh, f- in relation to this novel for him. So. In that sense, I think that's partially what he's trying to do, because you're in the Tennis Academy, you're in the psych ward, you're on the streets with Wardeen and the homeless people, you're uh, other places you're you're in. I, I don't remember if Hal's father lived in Boston, but then you have um, his brother, in, who I think is in Arizona. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So so you're getting this like sprawling picture of america which i think he's trying to do and it's interesting though because there's a lot of mundanity mixed in with the slapstick this is a very Mm -hmm. slapstick book the humor is slapstick dark slapstick humor yeah and a lot of it's very absurd yeah very very pinchonian right and then yeah yeah, pinchon's the other elephant in the room a great writer looming over over this conversation and looming Mm -hmm. over that novel yeah Uh, all this talk i have of joyce and barth some people say uh, you really need you. I mean, I've had people basically say to me, like, no, those people aren't really that important. It's Pynchon. Pynchon's the one, you know, uh, which may may be true. I don't know. Um, but but either way, my point though to your comments about mm-hmm. maybe you have to do this uh, complicated mathematical pattern weaving. Yeah, something to, like that. Yeah. To write the Great American Novel now. Um, I think that's partially what he's trying to do because it's not provincial or it's not totally fantasy land. And, and it's not um, it's not just like a snippet of a small microcosm. It's he's trying to do like the whole thing. He's got like right. all level society. He's got like homeless people and he's got like extremely wealthy, successful, you know, movie producers and guys who are going to elite tennis academies and guys who are in, you know, halfway houses who, and what was Don Gately, a roofer or a carpenter or something, something like, like that. that. No, yeah. he was a thief actually. Yeah. He, was, he uh, had been yeah. a thief, but he did like janitor work for a lot right. of the halfway houses and stuff like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think in that way, Wallace was trying to make this like all encompassing, all encompassing and all this stuff you're talking about with the Sapinski triangle or whatever you call it. Mm. I, I just where I am butchering that term. No, no. So uh, I think it's you can either call it a Sapinski triangle or a Sapinski gasket, apparently. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, that is uh, I had one last thing to say about it. That is um, gone. No, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's interesting. Well, this makes me wonder, it's like, okay, what is, because now I I start to wonder like, all right, this term gets thrown around and in some ways, you know, maybe these terms don't mean that Oh, the maximalist novel. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Okay. No, you go ahead. I just popped back in my head. Yeah. I was just going to like poke holes in the idea of the great American novel anyway. Like, is it ever been a thing? Is it 
uh, is it useful at all as a as a conceit right um and if it is can it be can it even be done or is something happening in america where it's not really even possible anymore which is actually kind of where i land on it yeah i don't think it's possible anymore i think it was a thing yeah yeah i think think, go ahead yeah yeah so i i was curious there's a list there's a there's a list of great american novels right uh these are these are ones that people have made strong arguments for um and let me just read them to you really quick last of the mohicans right the scarlet letter moby dick obviously uncle tom's cabin huckleberry finn red badge of courage mcteague great gatsby gentlemen prefer blondes which i thought was interesting absalom absalom grapes of wrath catcher in the rye invisible man adventures of augie march lolita written by a russian which is interesting to kill a mockingbird gravity's rainbow blood meridian beloved american psycho infinite jest underworld franzen's freedom and then michael shabon's telegraph avenue which i don't know anything about so and i never even heard of two of those i've read more of those novels than i was expecting to have read i've read most of them (laughs) yeah i've read most of them now absalom absalom's an interesting one because yeah i thought that one was I mean, I don't know if I'm gonna no I'm go gonna destroy any bona fides I may have had with your <laughs> listeners, but I found that novel completely incoherent. Mm. I had no fucking idea what I was reading, and I didn't finish it. Sadly, I think I read 250 pages of it, and it's I don't it's, remember. It's 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 a book or 500 pages long. It's a book that I read, and I probably followed or understood two thirds of it. There's yeah, definitely I mean, you, you, a lot where you should put uh not you, yeah. but they oh, yeah. should put as I lay dying on that list, not Absalom. I don't know why you would put Absalom Absalom yeah. on that list unless you're trying yeah. to be clever. Right. Right. <laughs> but you you could I think that uh I was saying that I, I don't think I was talking to you guys about this. Hmm. But I was saying that there's like at least two major currents of American writing. Uh, and they kind of break off into smaller streams uh, as it, you know, it's like a delta. But mm-hmm. but it's fed by American literature is fed by two major rivers. And one of them is like uh, Fenimore Cooper, Hemingway, Stephen Crane, uh, others. And the other one is Melville, Faulkner, David Foster Wallace, Pynchon mm-hmm. um, and McCarthy, maybe. Yeah, well, McCarthy's a little bit more coherent than these guys. Uh, he doesn't he doesn't have the long tangentiality that characterizes Moby Dick, Absalom, Absalom, and Infinite Jest, among among the other things I named. True. Um, he's kind of in between. Mm-hmm. But the point is, what was my point? We've got the these point two streams. That, yeah, right. No, the point is that I think David Foster Wallace is firmly in the stream with Faulkner. Faulkner may have even well no I I would have to say Moby Dick is the inception point, hmm. um and one of the things that you characterize this by I did a thread on this on Twitter if I if I knew I'd bring it up I'd have pulled it up yeah. but one of the things that the that characterizes this stream is encyclopedic knowledge of your subject, so uh, I've been taught that. Moby Dick is expressly modeled. Actually, this was where I came up with this whole perspective from was this insight right here, which is not my own. This is, mm-hmm. I got this from other people that that Moby Dick 
that the American Encyclopedia, which was a, a Protestant project in America, apparently, and I don't know which one the American one is called, but I know the British one is obviously the uh, Encyclopedia uh, Britannica. Britannica, yeah. yeah. So they were trying to make an American one. And Melville was reading it and he was like, you know, a big fan of it or whatever, an advocate okay. for it. So he was trying to create like an encyclopedic novel about whales. It's the whale entry. It's the whale entry in the American encyclopedia. His, yeah, mythological whale entry in the encyclopedia. Right. While mm -hmm. uh, for Faulkner, I would say it's the South. Mm -hmm. uh, there's more to it than that. But the point is, is that Hemingway was apparently responding to the newspaper, which was obviously like in its heyday. And he yeah. was a journalist. Right. And, you know, he they, brought they, the, they, he, if I may ask you, yeah, yeah, Hemingway very famously brought the journalistic style of writing to Into literature. Yeah. yeah. And that is what created, in my opinion, the two streams, the two rivers of mm. American literature. And, and, Wallace, I think it's impossible to refute, <laughs> is firmly in the Melville Faulkner camp. Mm -hmm. uh, a pension as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, isn't I mean, Gravity's Rainbow is like an encyclopedic novel. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And yeah. this this is the maximalist novel as well. Like this is the argument of what the maximalist novel is. Now, I have a whole theory I won't subject you guys to right now about why the maximalist novel even exists. But the point is, is it's very firmly in this other tradition. And, and, and to repeat myself, but it's very important, though, mm. is tangentiality is a huge uh, characterizing feature of this type of writing, which is yeah. not in Salinger. It's not in right. Hemingway. It's not in Raymond Carver. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's, it's in Franzen. It's, it's not in Fitzgerald. It's not in a couple of these other people on this list on this list of great American novelists. I mean, I don't think um, Nabokov really is a maximalist. Uh, you know, I think he probably could have done that if he wanted to, because I think he was such a virtuoso. But it wasn't. It's not really what he did. He um, definitely could have done it because yeah. he was, wasn't he an arborist or a botanist or a, uh, an insect a butterfly collector? Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, very interesting. That, I found that's a couple really... of, uh, hang on, Brad. I found a couple of interesting factoids on the infinite jest, uh, Wikipedia, uh, adaptations. This is a very short yeah. playwright. Ken Campbell is like an British English playwright worked on an adaptation of infinite jest for the millennium. Uh, his concept was to have 1000 performers who each paid $23 to take part in the event which would last a week. It never came to fruition. <laughs> I wonder why. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. And then German theatrical company Hebel am Ufa produced a 24-hour avant-garde open-air theater adaptation in 2020. Woo! 24 hours. Uh, concept conceptually, I am fucking sold on both of these ideas. I'm yeah. all for it. <laughs> right. Yeah, Interesting. I, I like this idea of you pay to, to, to be partake in, in this in yeah. this piece of theater. Yeah, kind of fun. Mm. Yeah, dude, one but... of the greatest trivia things that I did not know that I learned from your episode was that Wallace had to pay for the printing of one of his own novels. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or the, yeah. was it the girl with the, girl with the curious hair? Oh, uh, I think it was girl with the curious hair. If I'm remembering right, yeah, he had so many last minute changes that, like, because of where it was at in the production process, it was like, dude, you can't, we can't do this. You gotta, Bro, you gotta cough up some dough. That yeah. is 
exactly what I was talking about where I said I think he probably is a genius and his mm-hmm. own crippling anxiety like holds him back. That's a perfect example of what I'm mm-hmm. talking about. Yeah, just got to have the last, got to, you know, got to keep changing it, got to keep changing it, thought about it, thought about it, thought about it. I mean, you can, yeah, you know, it, he his crippling, his crippling self-consciousness is probably kind of what, you know, ultimately killed him, to be honest. I mean, oh, yeah, clearly. in right. some way, yeah. depending on how, what angle you want to take at the thing. Um but it's interesting, but it's, you know, I feel like, I feel like a writer to, well, then now this makes me interested in the, is maximalism a, a symptom of anxiety? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked that question because I <laughs> no. felt like I was pontificating so egregiously that yeah, I was yeah. just going to stop. <laughs> But you just set up the the exact thing I was going to go off on. Okay, like, all literally. right. Well, yeah, go off. <laughs> yes, it is a symptom. Uh, I've recently been reading uh, Marshall McLuhan's Gutenberg Galaxy. Oh yeah. Just did you read that? I have read it. Yeah. That's mind blowing. It really it's is paradigm yeah. shifting. It really is. I haven't decided if I'm completely sold on his thesis, which is for another time. Mm-hmm. But his little insights that he puts in along the way are more than worth it whether his grand picture is correct or not the gutenberg galaxy strongly recommend to anyone who wants to read it one of the things he says in the book and he he and others argue this elsewhere uh it's just kind of a passing remark in the book but it really struck me because i instantly equated this to the maximalist novel and he talks about how different technologies uh, kind of supplant each other and that one technology will come into a society and it will be the defining tech piece of technology that just totally changes the society, totally reorients the, the, the society and the economy and the politics and just everything. It's a completely paradigm shifting technology that changes civilization as we know it and certain epochs are even defined by the shift from one technology to another. (laughs) Well, the internet, the internet is one of them. The internet is one of these technologies. The wheel, the printing press, and the internet are Mm. the three major ones, in (laughs) my opinion. Yeah, totally. Yeah, 100%. Mm -hmm. But what he says is that uh, when that happens, whatever... once it gets integrated, his argument is that once this technology is done disrupting civilization and gets integrated into the civilization, it kind of like melts back into the background. It becomes background radiation and is like woven into the fabric of the society mm-hmm. so that it's no longer like no one notices it. They just go about their lives. So once once the wheel was done decimating every agricultural society on the planet through charioteering. Mm-hmm and chariot warfare it then became the most banal thing in the world and no one cared about the wheel the horse is another one too the horse did Mm -hmm. this you know millennia before the wheel or maybe after the wheel i don't remember anyway you get the point Mm -hmm. and this this goes along right so one of the things McLuhan says is that once the obsolete technology is like in its death throes it becomes conspicuous so the point being is that that technology had been in the background mm-hmm. and it had been woven into the society. 
-hmm. And then something else comes, upsets society, and by the time it's clear that society is now going to be oriented around this new thing and the old thing is going to be irrelevant, it becomes conspicuous. So one mm -hmm. of the arguments for this is the, the the massive pyramids built in Egypt. They came I'm, – I'm coming back to David Foster. No, Foster. I get it. I'm following. This the is great. Ma the massive pyramids that we know of didn't show up until the very end, like basically after – the heyday of Egypt. And it was, they came when an emperor was trying to be like, Hey guys, like we're still here. We're right. still Egypt. And they were trying to reassert themselves as like the greatest empire in the world. Um, but they, they, it was, it was basically done. So they had to build these like huge pyramids to like show off how great they were. That's what I think the maximalist maximalist novel is. I uh -huh. think that the 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 genealogy of literature basically goes and i was talking to brad about this before we recorded basically goes from the epic poem to the play to the novel and now it's something on the internet i don't know it's probably just the internet yeah we'll just say it's it's, the it's in now. it's in flux it's right. posting right. it's posting yeah, post, is it, it is yeah posting yeah. yeah actually let's I'm, uh I'm not I'll even joking yeah, go on. Astrid. I'll finish this thought and then we should we should actually hash that out. Yeah. But whatever the thing is now, it's the it's on the Internet. Mm -hmm. OK, mm -hmm. so the point being is that as the Internet came in to like disrupt everything and you saw it, we all watched this happen in real time. I mean, yeah. I'm literally talking about the closing of the blockbuster video. I'm talking about uh, the, uh, publishing houses closing. I'm talking about book sales plummeting. Mm -hmm. Local news, local newspapers. A little website with the 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 best design. Any website, no website has has a greater design. Mm -hmm. Killed local newspapers. Craig yeah. Craigslist. Yeah. Craigslist. <laughs> Craigslist hasn't changed in twenty years. It, it killed that the thing, It yeah. killed. It killed local classifieds and right, killed. Right. Which uh, was their mark. Which was their budget. That was yeah. that was their whole budget. That had I, that had as much effect. Uh, yeah, uh, as anything else on the internet. That one dumb looking website, which works. <laughs> And hasn't changed it in 20 years. Yeah, yeah. go on. I could talk no, about I, I wasn't trying day. to interrupt you. I was trying yeah. to yeah. Uh, reinforce your insight by asking mm. your younger listeners if they had any fucking idea right. <laughs> that when the boomers were in the middle aged, how important to American civilization the classified ads were. Dude. I mean, dude, that right? Was... Yeah. Dude, the people you would get jobs if you showed yeah. up to a new town. That's where you would look for work. People lived mm -hmm. and breathed the class. I delivered bread these and butter. things. I delivered these papers. I started I mean, on a Wednesday. Uh, I've been in media my whole life, boys. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. you for real. I mean, yeah, yeah. You mentioned the shit poster. You guys are from like hip Midwest towns. I I don't know exactly where you're from. Mm. Oh, I got to look for saying that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> No, I'm from, well, I'm from the Detroit area. One of us is. So my yeah. point is that my point is is that when the internet came in to kill all this stuff, that's exactly when the maximalist novel showed up. Mm. As 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 a thing, as mm. a as a as a characteristic genre. There are examples of master uh, maximalist novels that existed before, but they were singularities. Mm -hmm. There there wasn't a shit ton of Moby Dicks that came out after Moby Dick. There was not a bunch of uh uh Gravity's Rainbows. Right. There they were they were singularities. Yeah, it's true. You can you can name the notable ones. It's a pretty it is a pretty short list like pre 1995 or whatever. Yeah. 
But in the in the book, the maximalist novel, because somebody coined that term, some Italian uh, literary mm-hmm. scholar, the books he except for Gravity's Rainbow, which is really like the precursor, they're all from the 80s and 90s. They're all from the last gasp of that era. Mm-hmm. So that's the would argument we, I'm would making. We put, would we put 2666 in this? Yeah, we would. Yeah, yep. okay. It's in the book. Yeah. It's in the book, the maximalist novel. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of that is it's technically pre-internet, but it's it's um, it's te- cable television exists and cable television in terms of I think the way you interact with it is like a low resolution version of the internet, right? You can kind of feel it coming through cable television. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, because Wallace like never really went on the Internet until fairly late in his life. Like when he wrote Infinite Jest, he apparently had spent almost no time on the Internet. Um, It wasn't around. It wasn't really a thing. I mean, you go on like DARPA net or whatever. Um, So uh, but, you know, and then he got he got a lot of there was a lot of um, sort of feedback or commentary about how he had replicated the experience of being on the Internet with with the book infinite jest reading it with the footnotes and everything was like being on the internet according that's to why this book is so important you're exactly right i mean that's yeah. why it is the last great american novel i mean mm-hmm. yes you're 100 mm-hmm. correct it, it yeah. the, the novel as a genre at least the american novel is dead we have to just accept that i i i stridently believe that i will argue till i'm blue in the face about it this was the last one Mm. And the fact that the structure mimics the Internet is not an accident, even though he didn't do it on purpose, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. He was seeing. I mean, that's that's what makes he was trying to make television. Yeah. That's what makes it visionary, though, because he saw what the next with with the the logic of television. You know, you just you just amp up the bandwidth enough on cable television. You have the Internet, basically. Thousand percent agree. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Very so, interesting. I know it's your show and you were about <laughs> to ask me something, but what do you guys, is it possible in the age of the internet to say that there is like a distinct medium of literary, cr- cr- I don't, literary culture, I guess is the mm. word I'm looking for. Uh, now, uh, mm. it was epic poetry at one point. It was television at one point it was film Mm -hmm. where 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 the 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 sort of uh highest caliber literary output of a culture was going into one of these mediums it was going into journalism at one point it was going into the novel at another point it was going into film you know Mm -hmm. where do you think it's going now kevin said shit posting half tongue-in-cheek half deadly serious i think he's probably right um what do you guys think? Are you asking? Okay, are you asking? Is there a new uh, artistic Prevailing. medium of expression, or are you asking where is the talent going? Because uh, I don't think I have both uh, questions. Yeah, I'm asking both questions. Literary though, specifically literary, mm-hmm. not not like visual, purely visual, not music, not audio, right. audio. Uh, I, I think there are both. both there are I want both. Yeah, there are threads and moments and accounts on Twitter that I think could merit like future recognition. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's hard to really grok because it feels so 
ephemeral. Yeah, yeah, man. And it, it's yeah. like tears. Yeah. It's like tears in the rain. It really is. Uh, yeah, it's there and it's gone. But <clears throat> one one has to imagine what internet archaeology is going to look like, and probably already does look like i don't know that that's going to be a new emerging practice over the next 40 or 50 years how do you go back and reconstruct what 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 was that what was that damn thing called live journal right uh you know you have you'll have these and brad uh, just let me finish this real quick you know i have a i have a zoomer zoomer friend of mine who i use for like translating parts of the culture she helps (laughs) me understand certain things uh and i know i know i help her Well, you know, but I mean, I'm very, I'm pretty plugged in, you know, that we call ourselves very online podcasters, although our age will, as we go, start to show more and more, I'm sure. But she will, she will get this look in her eyes, like, uh, like Elmo, the Elmo GIF coming back from Vietnam. uh, When, when I'm, I say the word Tumblr, like she, she will, if you mention Tumblr, she'll go into a 30 minute rant about how she feels like she survived a psyop people psyoped each other. It was this whole culture. And I'm like, well, how long did it go on? She's like, I don't know, six months. Wow. <laughs> you know, like, and, and, it, and yeah. she talks about how a lot of stuff in the culture right now, she's like, Oh yeah, that was all on Tumblr, blah, blah, blah. And that's just gone. Poof. Yeah. Yeah. Jose, smoke. Yeah. Right. And I, and I know I've had similar experiences in different corners of the internet. So it's a very, very tricky thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something about, the novel imprinted on paper. It's physical. It's there. You can wave it around and try to convert people, even with infinite jest. You know, the yeah. the, the internet is something else. It's very, very um, tricky. I don't know if I'm speaking to your to your question, but Brad, what did you have there? Well, no, I mean, you the things you're saying bring up a lot of things. You know, I I had a had a Tumblr for a long time, and it's funny because I hear about about that now, and I realize the reason I was affect wasn't affected by that is. I didn't interact with anybody. I just like threw, I just posted stuff on there. And so like, I didn't even realize there was a Tumblr subculture that had a particular, for me, it was just, it was literally a blank. It was a, it was a format for putting things up, you know? I mean, there are people being psyoped right now. I, uh, lots of places, but like TikTok, you go over to TikTok, there's a whole world is happening right Mm -hmm. now. I really don't know, like in terms of like artistic expression, you know, if there's something that, will emerge that will replace those things that you mentioned out of the internet. Uh, or if it's just, uh, I don't know, Astral, what do you think? I mean, is there, you know, I haven't seen that new thing where it's suddenly like, well, let's, let's, let's break it down into something really rudimentary, right? Have the, have the legacy MFA programs, have the, have the dusty old MFA programs opened up, a, you know, uh, a fourth, you know, you got poetry, you got screenwriting, you got, uh, you know, playwriting, you got prose. Have they opened up internet writing? Not really, mm, but like, no. will that come? Like video game writing. I don't know. Yeah. Will that ever come? I mean, it feels because novels, novels, when they came out were day class A. It was sort of, it was sort of dirty and all that very similar to video games and now and video games for 20 years have made more money than or 15 years have made more money than yeah. hollywood so and I, now I, a novel I, and now a novel is the average person's idea of high culture right i like right as the man on the street which yeah. the you know yeah i, I think i came around to my answer astro and it's probably happening in gaming probably <laughs> yeah you know that's a good answer I want to say I think maybe gaming's heyday had has passed. Mm. It's definitely 
where a lot of the talent was going for a time. I mean, a lot of the talent was getting eaten up by like HBO uh, miniseries and Netflix miniseries and, and, and AMC miniseries. I guess they weren't miniseries. I guess they were full series. So was, yeah. Yeah. Boardwalk empire and Deadwood and Rome. The writing there was just phenomenal. Sopranos. Uh, the writing on those shows was top notch better than any movie at the time. Mm-hmm. Video gaming is tough. I'm not a huge gamer. I've only played a few and I'm like peripherally aware um, of the content of certain games, but it's an interest. It's a funny medium though, because in McLuhan terms, it would be cold media because hot media is like a novel where everything's given to you, given to you. You're given all the details of the world. You're given all the details of the inner monologue of the character, the interrelationships of the character, uh, the resolution at the end is given to you. So in hot media, everything's given to you. Television is mm. hot media. Cold media is where you have to fill it in yourself. So like talking mm. on the phone, uh, reading a newspaper is cold because you have to like sort of like fill in the affect of the speaker. Okay. Uh, you yeah. can't see the person on the other end of the phone, what their facial expressions are. So mm. you have to fill it in like based on like the inflections in their voice. So, so video Brad's games, episodes, Brad's episodes are cold media. My episodes yeah, are hot. Yeah, actually, that works. <laughs> that works. That yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Get, Brad's no, no, the no. analytic philosopher. Kevin's <laughs> the continental philosopher. Yeah. All right. Oh man. Nah, right, uh, right. I've never called an analytic philosopher on my own show, nonetheless. No, no these are compliments. Oh, he took it as what a were you, What were you saying about uh, all so of I'm our darkness video games, is hot the problem, media? The, yeah, the problem yeah. with video games is it's very cold. It's hmm. a very cold media medium. Hmm. So the only two games I've played in my adult life, well, since I was 20 years old, I played the first PlayStation. I played a bunch of games on that. Metal Gear, Final Fantasy, Grand Theft Auto 3, other games. So I was like 20. Then I stopped playing games until I was like 40. And I played Breath of the Wild and I played Elden Ring. Uh, Shout out, shameless self-promotion, Astro Flight Simulation has like a four hour episode on Elden Ring recorded oh, that'll be really? released. Yeah. Um, and those games are, in my opinion, the height of that genre, uh, based on what I know about the genre, because there's very little given to you on the story. There's like moments where you meet characters and they tell you something about what's happening in the world, or there's an inscription on something that you read and if you know if you don't read it you can't advance mm-hmm. there's these little snippets and then the rest of the story is made up by you playing the game so you're like filling in the story so kevin is correct but i don't i it, it, in that he's correct in that that's the medium that storytelling has shifted to in its like totality in our mm-hmm. culture, whereas mm-hmm. film has just degenerated and novels have degenerated and television has degenerated. But I worry that just like television being like the place where all the talented writing was going was just a fast flame that burned out. It was what the Sopranos, maybe you could start 1999 because mm-hmm. yeah. it went from the, the, the schlocky sitcom. That was the same thing over and over again, which is exactly yeah. what Infinite Jess is trying to do, by the way. <laughs> we could we can get back to the book in a minute. Yeah. 
So the Sopranos was telling this long story over a long period of time. Uh, and then I, I, it died. And like, I don't know, what, what's a really high quality series with really impeccable writing that came out after like 2010? I mean, seriously. Uh, I mean, you got the first. I mean, the first season of True Detective. I mean, yeah. but yeah, it's good been answer. A while. Yeah, good answer. I mean, you got yeah. But was I that mean, the Swan Song though? Uh, I yeah, I don't know. Yeah, uh, I, mean, I don't really watch I mean, enough got, to say. Like, I, I don't Bad, think it's, Breaking Bad was pretty swell. Was, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, but that was like but, 2008 though. That was 2008, yeah, 9, 10. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, there true, is, and there, then True Detective went the same way. The True Detective season one is fucking phenomenal. True Detective no. season two is very solidly almost just as good mm-hmm. season three is unwatchable uh, game it, of thrones yeah. was outstanding until the very end and they couldn't bring it home mm-hmm. and it's just mm-hmm. like that happens over and over and over again and i think that that it just burned out and i'm making a, i'm making a point i mean i feel like yeah. i'm so sorry i'm, I'm so no, you're all right no, 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 no. yeah but the point i'm trying to make though is that the internet this is what the internet does it makes these things ephemeral. It it mm-hmm. ephemeral it ephemerizes literature. It ephemera, ephemeralizes the literary arts uh, because the whole reason why it does that is because what you get on the internet is a snippet. It's a quick, rapid, prepackaged dopamine hit that's mm-hmm. delivered to you rapid fire, and it's over. It's the next thing. Yeah. So to 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 really sit down and take a story meticulously and write it out to its fullest possible degree. And a great example is the Game of Thrones series. I mean, that's a maximalist story. Those novels are maximalist. Right. Mm-hmm. But the, the, all this stuff is coming in the wake of David Foster Wallace. This is why he's so important. He is the cornerstone. He's the turning point. He brought his novel to completion like you would a woman which <laughs> which which he it was want to do as we all yeah. know and you guys yeah. talked about it in your episode yeah he did bring that novel full circle mm. i mean he just did mm-hmm. i've got it open Whether in you... front of me and it's just it infinite yeah. jest just yeah and just the yeah. shape of it and the the size of the paragraphs and reading bits and bobs of it yeah, but he doesn't he doesn't make an effort to make it easy for you, does he? No. Well, yeah. but this is no. part of the thing too. I mean, this is another part of his sort of er thesis or project. He wanted it to be hard to read. I mean, he was trying to redeem the human ability to carry out a difficult cognitive task. I mean, that was part of what he was concerned with was it, that we were sure. basically losing the ability sure. to do that. And, and and maybe that's pretentious, but but, but I don't think he was no, wrong in saying and, that we him were... and Jonathan Franzen were explicitly trying to do exactly what you just said. Have you mm-hmm. read Franzen's Perchance to Dream essay? Uh yes. It's been a Good. minute, but yes. Yeah. Yeah. You're the first person I've ever asked that yeah. who's read it. <laughs> yeah. I that's I, Franzen Franz, is an Franz interesting probably the only person who's who's met Franzen. No, have I, you? Yeah, 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 back in the MFA days. Um Franzen is an interesting figure because he is 
God, he's an incredibly talented guy, but it feels like he let himself be so shaped by sociocultural forces that he kind of ran out of stuff to say. It's just sort of like as talented as David Foster Wallace or maybe anybody else, but it's like he allowed himself to be poured into a specifically shaped container. That's that how I that's how I see is it. the melody of the day. That is ha- mm-hmm. that's happening to everyone. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. it ha- that's why David Foster Wallace killed himself. Mm. What Damn. you just said okay. is the symptom of our entire culture, because uh, the Game of Thrones books, the Song of Ice and Fire books, they're amazing. The first three books are amazing, right? They are maximalist because he's trying to do exactly what I said about Dublin and Boston. Uh, and he's trying to do it of, of, with Westeros of, right. of this f- imaginary fantasy kingdom. Mm-hmm. And he was unable to bring it to completion. Why? Two reasons. The first is that he just he tried to do too much. Yeah. But the second, probably more important reason, is because the show superseded his his right. his work. And it became so insanely popular and he made so much money and he became so famous that the actual content of the meat of the I was going to say the media. Yeah, I'm, I'm so McLuhan. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the actual content of the, the piece of art became less important than like the image and mm-hmm. the, the culture built up around it. Mm-hmm. And of course, that culture was partially generated by the internet. I mean, I was Mm -hmm. on message boards about a song of ice and fire when the internet was so young that it was literally, it it was like, it was like Oregon trail level graphics. It was like (laughs) literally a a purple background with like gold letters Uh, and like eight uh, bit, like swords. I want to go back. (laughs) I want to go back so bad guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um Oh man, that, that whole process was interesting because th- you're right about it being part of the internet. Because it isn't it wasn't just the success of it. It wasn't just the money, though those are huge factors. Right. It was also this interactive process where basically exactly. the fans the fans exactly. were yelling at him. Yeah. And, and I remember he was hanging being, out with his fans. Right. Like crazy. Right. Yeah, yeah. I remember being very upset the fact that people were telling him he needed to hurry up. Because as a writer, I was like, he doesn't owe you anything. <laughs> George R. R. Martin doesn't owe anybody anything. Well, he wrote well, as some, massive books. As like, someone he, whose life was given meaning by his books, mm-hmm. <laughs> I felt like he, he did owe it. He felt he owed you one, at least one last. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, man. <laughs> so, I mean, Wallace needs to be given an extreme amount of credit for t- having this massive vision mm-hmm. that he saw through to completion uh and 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 i i understand why people don't like this book but Mm -hmm. he did succeed at what he was trying to do because you brought up in your uh episode that blog post i've read that blog post that explains what happens yeah yeah this is what i was talking about where i said like the whole postmodern thing where you have to have all this extraneous information like the contents of the book aren't enough for you to know what happened. You have to like do work. You have to take notes and you have to figure it out and you have to take this puzzle piece and put it together. I go into this in excruciating detail in the last things episode Mm -hmm. on YouTube. 
I'm, I feel guilty about it because Dan and last things would just sat there and listen to me talk for like a half an hour. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But I'm still to this day. I'm like so embarrassed that I did no, that. No, it was but good. I explained how like Mulholland Drive, Pulp Fiction, but, but really Pulp Fiction is a little different. But Mulholland Drive and Infinite Jest are completely incoherent if you don't take the puzzle and piece it together and understand that when you do that, there are going to be missing pieces and you have to figure out what the missing pieces are. And 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 it's they did it on purpose. I, I'm telling you that they did it on purpose. Yeah, I believe that. Well, I, and I don't mean you. I'm, I'm talking about like because whenever anybody. I talk about novels and I say like this is what this novel is about. And people are like, well, that's not what the author intended. And I'm like, fair enough. But this yeah. is in this case, what I just said uh, about David Lynch, David Foster Wallace, it is what they intended. And I know for a right. fact it is because they say it in interviews. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I think, I think you're, I think you're totally, I think you're totally right there. Also, I mean, the intentional fallacy, authors only sort of know what they're doing anyway. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think so, this is probably, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I, I well, can, I was gonna I, say, talk for four, yeah, no, I was gonna hours. say. I mean, I think, I think this is a good note to end, sort of maybe close down the 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 free portion of Art of Darkness. Um, on this note, that Infinite Jest succeeded in David Foster Wallace's project. I think we've made a very strong case for that. It sold. It sold over a million copies. Boom. So, by any objective American standard, <laughs> that is a wild runaway success. That is I, a great American novel. If it, it sells moved a, a lot of paper, and what do we have on the After Dark for Patreon? Brad, Patreon.com/slash Art of Dark Pod. I know I'm prepping Lenny Riefenstahl. That's coming Ooh. up, coming in hot. Lenny yeah. going to yeah. be. Very interesting. Can Very dark. Real quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just read like last week Susan Sontag's essay about Lenny Reifenstahl. I Ooh. forgot the name of it, but it's the essay that has the 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 art of fascism or the the fascist aesthetic. No. Whatever that essay is, I just read mm-hmm. that, and it the whole it's the whole thing is about Lenny Reifenstahl. Lenny Reifenstahl has influenced filmmakers and uh, people ever since. She created, uh, she didn't just do Triumph of the Will. She made a very, very uh, famous film about the, I think it was the 36 Berlin Olympics. That was Uh, definitive and she was a pioneer. A little problematic. She worked for the Austrian (laughs) corporal. Going to be a yeah. good one, right? Yeah, yeah. that'll be and, interesting. And, but and uh, you're prepping Tarkovsky, Brad. So you're going I am over pre- this. I'm going yeah. to the Third Reich. You're right. going we're going to be on opposite. We're going to be on opposite yeah. sides for sure. Right. You're yeah. you're yeah. you're going to the cold medium. I'm going to the hot medium. Yeah. <laughs> it all, you know what I mean? It yeah. all you know I mean? comes yeah. together. So yeah. You're prepping Tarkovsky. Sense. This is a long yeah. way of saying support the pod. We put in the work. Brad and I are always working. We're always getting new books. We're always thinking about new subjects. Mm-hmm. patreon.com slash art of dark pod what are we going to talk about on the after dark bread um yeah i mean i had a few things floating around i think we're going to talk a little bit about the pale king i astro i don't think you've actually read that and that's fine I, there's a couple things i want to say about it but i do also want to talk about something i we didn't get to which was david foster wallace's massive essay uh e unibus plurum uh which uh, is kind of a work of genius, and I think it, I think it's worth it's worth talking about. We touched on it on the core episode. It's big. It has a lot to say, um, and I think it'll be good for us too. I've got some I, snippets I, to read, and I know Astro, you're familiar with it. I spent a number of years 
considering that the greatest single piece of writing I'd ever read. Oh, excellent. We're yeah. going to we're going to learn more about that. Awesome. All right. Awesome. <laughs> On the after dark. Take a few minutes, boys, quickly brush to the bird website and shit post uh, for posterity. Right. right. The <laughs> for, the, that, for the culture. For, for the culture. culture. <laughs> Thanks again. Thanks, Astro.